As I said, my brothers and sisters, it's so good to be back with you all after all of these months. It's been so, such a long time that we've been separated from each other, and it's just wonderful to be back with you all. Praise the Lord. And uh, of all the stuff that we've been through in these past few months, you know, we've got this virus thing going on that's changed the whole world, uh, as well as our country and our local community. Um, and then we've got all the different the strife and the division that's taking place in our country right now over racial and political and uh, questions of equality and whatnot. And, and uh, I feel like I just need to give some kind of encouragement and some hope here. So that's what I want to do. I'm going to preach about the sacrament of baptism. Today at Fairhaven this morning at the 8 o'clock Mass, we had a lovely baptism. And the scriptures tied in in a very providential uh, way to this particular family's life. The, the mother, it was questionable whether... Uh, she, w- she would be able to have a child. She was able to have the child. The child, it was an emergency baptism in the hospital. And then the ritual, I, I sort of completed the ritual in church this morning. But we have in our uh, first reading from the Old Testament, the story of the, the Shunammite woman, uh, you know, who can't have a child and she has a child and all of this stuff. And then the second reading is, is on baptism. That's what I'm going to really focus on. St. Paul's text from Romans. He says this. He says, we were indeed buried with him through baptism into death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might live in newness of life. Now, I would propose to you something that maybe is not obvious at first, but but what I would propose to you is that implicit in this simple text are two things. That baptism points us to the resurrection of the dead, the bodily resurrection of the dead, Jesus' resurrection, but our own resurrection as well. Now, that's a little bit more obvious in the text. But also, baptism in this text points us upwards towards heaven. It sets our horizons on not on the earth, but on heaven. And that, that's a little bit more, how, how do I get that out of here? You'll, you'll see in a moment. But it's so important to understand that, that our baptismal vocation is a heavenly vocation. It is a promise of the immortality of not just the soul, but also the body itself and the resurrection of the dead. But it's also a promise of our ultimate destiny in heaven, not on earth. And we go through lots of troubles here on earth. You know, I, I always like that phrase there from the one prayer to Mary. I think, is it the Regina? Ch- I can't remember the prayer, but there's a prayer <laughs> to Mary, um, and we refer to this valley of tears. The valley of tears. You know, if you think that earth is our ultimate happiness and our ultimate destiny, you're going to be disappointed. Okay? That is not the case. The fact of the matter is that heaven, not earth, heaven is our ultimate happiness, and it's that to which we're called. When we've got that in place, we can order all our earthly affairs towards heaven and uh, we can do good on the earth and we can stand up underneath the different burdens and the trials and the hardships and the bad things that take place and that we face on this earth. So I'm going to kind of show you how what I'm talking about here. We've got in baptism an image of the resurrection of the dead. That's a, pretty obvious. The ancient formula of baptism was uh, pouring of the water, but it was more primarily immersion of the full body underneath 
a body of water, usually in a river or whatnot. So if we can imagine this, it's an image of someone going underneath the earth and then coming back up. Okay? So it's an image of death into the earth and then resurrection out of the earth. But implicit in that imagery is another image. What else do we put in the earth? You almost want to use the word plant, right? What else do we put in the earth? Seeds. Seeds. We bury seeds. And then they sprout. And a seed is one of the greatest symbols of hope. Because it's really, uh, to the appearance, it's really nothing. It's like a speck of what? It doesn't really look like it's anything. But in an invisible manner contained within it is this life and this genetic code and all of this intelligence. And it's unseen. It's hidden. And then you hide it even more by putting it underneath the earth because your hope is that it's going to spring up and become something new. And so for St. Paul, in other passages of his writings, he takes the burial of the body as an image of the burial of a seed. And so he says in the 15th chapter of his first epistle to the Corinthians, which is all based on, on the resurrection of the dead, he says, the body is sown in corruption, it is raised incorruptible. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. How beautiful is that? Focus, really, those four lines that St. Paul delineates about the, the body have traditionally, in our, in our Catholic theological tradition, have been known as the four qualities of the resurrected body. And we see four different qualities in Christ's resurrected body that we also believe will be true of our own resurrected bodies. And it's incorruptibility, glory, power, and spirituality. It's too much to get into all of those. I'm just going to focus on one, because there's one really above all, that points us upwards to heaven. And that's the attribute of glory. And we see this in our primary text that we've heard today from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, where it says that Christ was raised by the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father. On Mount Tabor, when Christ was transfigured, he was glorified. It was a, it was a foretaste of his glorification in the resurrection. What, what happened to his body? all full of lights, luminous, okay? And so though we're created on the earth and our bodies are earthly, yet they're destined to become luminous as if they are heavenly bodies, like the stars, like the sun, like the heavens itself. And this is St. Paul again in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He talks about how the glory of the resurrected body will be like the glory of the heavenly bodies. And Jesus, in the 13th chapter of Matthew, says that the righteous in the kingdom of God will shine forth like the sun. And in the 12th chapter of Daniel, one of the clearest Old Testament passages speaking about the resurrection of the body, it says that those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. How beautiful is that? This idea of luminosity is implicit in, this, in the ritual of baptism itself. Okay, so this morning I, I took the, the candle and I lit it from the Paschal candle and I handed it to the parents and I said, Receive the light of Christ. Your child has been illuminated by Jesus. 
May he always walk as a child of the light so that when Christ comes back again, he may take him into his heavenly kingdom. So my brothers and sisters, we are destined for the resurrection. We are destined also for heaven. We're created on the earth. We will be raised up from the earth, but our resurrected body's ultimate home is a heavenly place, is a heavenly realm. I don't pretend to fully understand that. I don't think you can like look on the moon and say, oh, that's where it is, okay? So I don't fully understand this heavenly realm, but I do know, sure enough, my feet are not destined to remain on this earth for eternity. I'm destined with my body and soul united as one to be forever in heaven. Now, probably many of you know uh, uh, this about me, and I've shared it many times in different homilies. When I was a young man in my teens, my second oldest brother and I, we strayed from the Catholic Church and we began to associate with the evangelicals. So I often see doctrinal issues from both sides, from the Catholic side and from the evangelical side, and I understand both perspectives pretty well. Uh, from kind of an insider's perspective. And I can say that there's a very strong stream of uh, popular evangelicalism in America uh, that that conceives of the resurrection of the dead and the the resurrection of the body um, as remaining on earth. It's very deeply ingrained in the evangelical minds, or at least in one prominent stream of the evangelical minds. So when I was growing up as a Catholic, I usually heard a lot about the soul the body dying, decaying in there, the soul going up to heaven. That's kind of what I heard a lot. That was salvation uh, to me when I was a little child. And that's true enough. But that separation of soul and body is an interim period. It's not meant to be forever. Okay? And so when I joined these evangelicals, they focused so much on the resurrection of the body, it was a fresh idea to me. I was like, oh, that's really encouraging, very hope-filled. Okay? And, and it is. And they've got that right. But it's very deeply ingrained in their culture that the ultimate destiny and home of the resurrected body is really here on this earth. And they, they believe that because of a passage from the book of Revelation. But as I went on, as I continued to study these big questions, the ultimate destiny of, of mankind and heaven and hell and the resurrection of the dead and so forth and so on, I came to see that that view is mistaken and that ultimately we are called to be raised again from the dead in a bodily fashion, but that our bodies themselves, ra- risen from the dead, are destined for heaven. And uh, we see this, above all, of course, in Christ's own pattern that he shows forth. He rose from the dead, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we have a beautiful passage from the Gospel of John that says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you also may be. And so just as Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, the Bible teaches us that we are called to share that same throne, okay, and to reign with Christ in the kingdom of God at the right hand of the Father in heaven forever. It's a beautiful, beautiful hope. And I say all this, and I'm basically going to wrap up my homily, I say all this, that we are meant to be as heavenly bodies, to shine as the stars, to sit with Christ on his Father's throne and his heavenly throne. I say all this, Not so that we just forget about the earth. Not so that we become so heavenly-minded 
that we're no earthly good. Okay? It's not in our faith and our hope in heaven and in the resurrection of the dead that our baptism gives us. It's not an opium that's meant to cause us to fall asleep and become, you know, handicapped and unable to do anything in the world. It's not it at all. Rather, our focus and our hope of heaven on heaven is meant to contextualize this earth and put it in its proper perspective so that it doesn't become overwhelming, so that we, we don't lose hearts, so that we don't despair and give up, okay, with all the division and the conflict and the trouble that we're inevitably going to face on the earth. But rather, with the hope of heaven, we can have peace in our hearts, and then we can go out into the earth, and we can make the earth a good place. We can bring that peace and the unity that we have because of the hope that we have in our hearts, and we can make the world a better place. My brothers and sisters, this is our hope. It points us to heaven, and it's only that hope that really enables us to be uh, and to do any good on this earth. Let us thank God for our baptisms and our heavenly calling and the resurrection of the dead in heaven with Christ forever.